Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so glad you press play. If you're someone who marches to your own drummer, then you're going to love my next guest, who, while she didn't exactly march to a drummer, she did hula hoop around Latin America when she was 21 years old. She also spent time working in the service industry in San Francisco and Australia when she was 22. And then when she was 25, she moved to a remote village in Cambodia. But before I introduce you to Christina Lukeman, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that gives you an inside peek at the episodes we're going to be dropping that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four coffee, and sign up. Super easy. And while you're there, you can check out the other episodes of T4C and you can search by profession right on the homepage or you can go to the podcast page and every episode we've dropped to date is there, including all the episodes in which we've interviewed experts in the health, wellness, and self-care space. Because my friends, what good is it to have a job you love if your mental health and or your physical health sucks? And I say that from experience. And now grab your mug and take a chug of a frothy espresso drink or your favorite drip because it is time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest today is Christina Lukeman, who is head of investor relations at Agora, which is an organization dedicated to empowering entrepreneurs with the resources they need to succeed and transform the world. Agora, for those of you who don't speak Greek, is a Greek word meaning marketplace or public square where, way back when, citizens in ancient Greece would gather to discuss ideas and exchange goods and services. Agora, the company, was founded in 2005 as one of the first impact-focused investment funds in Latin America, and it was built and designed to serve entrepreneurs in Latin America and the Caribbean. Christina, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Hi, Andrea. I am caffeinated and ready to go. Wonderful. Well, you are currently the head of investor relations of a social business accelerator, Agora. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the head of investor relations? And what is a social business accelerator? Great question. So a social business accelerator is a program that helps accelerate, if you will, companies that are going to be looking to scale primarily through either access to markets or access to capital. Access to capital means connections to investors that can then obviously invest and help the companies scale. The head of investor relations or, or my title might sound like a big kind of fancy title. Really, I and I say this as a joke, I'm a financial cupid. So I look at the capital needs of entrepreneurs or the social entrepreneurs of the businesses we work at or work with. And then I also look at the investment criteria of the investors that are in our network uh, in terms of what the ticket size is that they tend to deploy capital at, the sectors, the geographies they tend to deploy capital in. And I match them up. Yeah. So you're you're a matchmaker. I'm a matchmaker, a financial matchmaker. Yep. 
Do you ever go around with like your Cupid bow and arrow and just for fun? I should. Maybe I should start doing that at conferences. So could you give us an example, Christina, of a match that you made and what that looked like? Yeah, I can give an example of a recent match. It's not public information, so I won't give the name of the company or the investor. But this is a superfoods. The match was between a superfoods company in Ecuador looking for around $1 million in equity to be able to scale their business throughout Latin America. And we matched them with an investor that is based in Peru, but looking at doing deals around Latin America. So we facilitated, well, one, we looked at both uh, parties' needs and then on the investor side, what they could provide. And then we facilitated an introduction and the investor and the entrepreneur started due diligence. So they're currently in the due diligence process, which is sort of a fancy term for looking at if the entrepreneur-investor relationship is going to work long-term, and then they'll be signing a term sheet shortly to finalize the deal. Which is like what, like a prenup? You, you know, it's funny, you can definitely make a lot of investment terms into almost marriage terms, but this is more of a contract. So it's like signing the marriage agreement. Yeah, I'm kind of teasing. But anyway, <laughs> so Christina, I know, well, Java dun- junkies don't realize this, but you are not in Mexico City right now where you live. You are in sunny California. Exactly. Yeah. You must have to travel quite a bit for your job. I was wondering if you could kind of give us a flavor for what you do, what a typical day or typical week as the head of investor relations of a social business accelerator is like. Yeah. So day to day is a lot of meetings, not going to lie, whether they're you know virtual meetings via Skype or Zoom or they're in-person meetings. I'm based in Mexico City, but as you mentioned, I do travel quite a bit for work. Uh, about 60% of the investors that we work with are based in the US. So over the next few weeks, I'm in California going to attend a conference in the Bay Area to be meeting with a number of investors. And I also travel a lot around Latin America. This year, I've been in Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, Panama, Nicaragua, and then a couple other countries for fun. So those are my, my work work stops. <laughs> in going to investors' headquarters or, or main offices, meeting with them, sitting down, one, starting to build a relationship. That's, that's sort of really what the overall goal is. And two, understanding what their investment criteria are so that um, moving forward, we might be able to recommend uh, entrepreneurs that are aligned with those criteria from the cohorts that we work with. So you mentioned that before an investor will sign the business equivalent of a marriage contract with yes. <laughs> with their partner, mm-hmm. they're going through the due diligence work. Is that something that you're doing as well before you make that match, before you introduce the prospective bride or groom to their partner? Uh, Yes, in some sense, absolutely. So we help entrepreneurs prepare a due diligence folder, which contains most of the documents that an investor would need to look at to make a decision on either saying yes or no to the investment. And I'm guessing that I'm going to continue with this metaphor a little bit longer until you tell me to stop. But I'm guessing, Christina, that you have had to kiss a lot of frogs before you found (laughs) Prince Charming. In the career sense, yes, and in many, in, in more ways than one, I guess you could say. I definitely meet with many, many, many investors, and it starts the funnel starts quite wide at the top. 
And then that narrows down as we look at investors that would be more aligned to the companies that that we work with. So definitely, there's quite a funnel, I would say, as you do the matchmaking. Yeah. And so what are the characteristics of the ones that make the cut? I know you're in the social good and the impact investing space. So you're looking, presumably, for partners that are trying to make the world a better place, just to put it plainly. Mm -hmm. So do you mean on the investor side or the entrepreneur side? On the entrepreneur side. Yeah. So there are certain sectors right now that are just really attractive to investors, particularly in Latin America. Companies that are working, just to give two examples, in, in fintech and in sustainable agriculture tend to be a lot easier to connect with investors uh, overall. What was that term so again that you just used? Fintech. Financial technology. Oh, and financial technology. Okay. And sustainable yeah. agriculture. Sorry for cutting you off there. No worries. Those tend to be two fields that are really hot right now, at least in the impact investing space in Latin America. Um, but I would say overall, in terms of qualities of entrepreneurs that we work with that tend to be successful in raising capital and, and ultimately scaling their businesses, it tends to be resilience. So entrepreneurs get a lot of no's when they're pitching to investors. And no doesn't have to mean a hard no. It can just mean a no right now. So staying resilient, staying motivated, even in the face of all the uncertainty uh, would be sort of the number one quality I see in successful entrepreneurs. And can you give us an example of one or two companies that Agora has shepherded through the process and that have been able to scale and are what any of us would say a success is today a successful company? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started with Agora 10, 10 11 months ago, but uh, one of my favorite companies is a Mexican company called Altitude, which we just worked with to help him get financing, uh, debt financing, so a loan to be able to start scaling his company. It's a social enterprise that works with... Well, so let me back up. I can explain the problem mm -hmm. first. might give way to the solution. In this area of Mexico, northern Mexico, where the social enterprise operates, there are a lot of uh, single mothers, so women heads of household, that are the sole financial support of their family. And oftentimes, they can't actually leave to go to work because if they leave their homes, they leave their children at home. And in this part of Mexico, there's a lot of organized crime and gang violence. So the children become really affected by that. We've seen a huge issue with this over the last decade or so. So he created a social enterprise that allows women to work from their homes. It provides microloans to these women so that they're able to buy sewing machines. And then they work to create textiles, more or less, from their own homes. And then part of the business also directly connects these women to textile buyers so that they're cutting out the middleman and the women are able to kind of get more of the end profit than they would if they were selling through a middleman to the textile buyers. So really cool. They've worked with, I believe... A few hundred entrepreneurs. I don't know the exact uh, numbers. I don't want to. I don't want to throw one out. But they've worked with a few hundred uh, women entrepreneurs, and it's really powerful seeing the impact that that they've created so far in, in this part of Mexico. Absolutely. We touched on this in the espresso shots, which is a separate episodes that Java junkies will get to listen to. So I'm going to ask you again, Christina, to share with Java junkies what it is about this career, about this 
job and the world that you're in right now that is really filling your soul, that is filling your brain, that is exciting, that gets you out of bed in the morning and makes you, you know, to the point where you just can't wait to get to the job? <laughs> So I'm, I'm always very excited to start work. I don't know if I can honestly say I wake up in the morning and, and can't wait to get to work. But <laughs> Okay, maybe I overstated it. <laughs> my, my, my work is very exciting and more than that, even uh, really inspirational. So though a lot of my role is directly working with investors, I do also get the chance to sit down with a number of entrepreneurs from each cohort to, to understand what their capital needs are and really getting to hear from them about their companies as well as the stakeholders that their businesses are affecting. So that the impact that's created for, for example, um, in this Mexican company, the women entrepreneurs and their families and helping these women achieve financial freedom, achieve the ability to stay taking care of their children while at home and stopping you know, the influence of gang violence in, in certain communities or, hel- or helping stop that. We're not going to claim that, that we're stopping that altogether. Uh, so overall, it's, it's very inspiring to have a job that ties my salary, or if you will, my profession to so much meaning is, yeah, very, very inspiring to have a lot of meaning in my work. So you've mentioned now a couple of times the investor side of the work that you're doing. And by the way, you know, again, your title is head of investor relations. You're not just dealing with the entrepreneurs. Can you talk a bit about what it's like to be with these investors and how you are tapping into different skill sets that you have to navigate that world and to effectively find the right investor for the right entrepreneur? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, as I mentioned, it's really about building relationships and making sure that the people that you're connecting with are people that want to collaborate and want to be involved. I would also say that sort of what I look for in investors, a lot, a lot of people, both in the traditional VC space or venture capital space, as well as in the impact space, assume that an investor just means money. So that, you know, when an entrepreneur closes a deal, oh, the investor just gives us money. But really, the best deals aren't like that. The investor gives money and then they also give technical expertise. They're also a huge voice as the company grows certain strategic initiatives, right? So I would say a big thing that I look for investors is not just them being interested in writing a check, but also being interested in sort of having the heart alignment to be interested in helping a social enterprise scale in a way that's beneficial both to the company and to the investor. So Christina, I want us to step back a bit from where you are today. And one of the things that I do with all my time for coffee guests is I give them the opportunity through an email exchange that we have to suggest different topics to me that they think would be of interest to the Java Junkie community. And one of them, Christina, that you suggested was that you think Java Junkies don't hear the narrative enough that it is okay to be lost, <laughs> Yeah, that it's part of the journey. What What did you mean by that? Yeah. So I I don't think that youth, particularly youth finishing up their their undergrad degrees, I remember very clearly what that felt like. Sort of, you know, you've had this path your whole life that you've 
that that's been more or less dictated uh, by your parents or by society or societal pressures. And then all of a sudden you're 21, 22 and you graduate and you have a diploma and you get to make all these decisions for yourself now. And a lot of friends and colleagues of mine and, and, and myself included felt this intense sort of sensation of being lost saying okay like what do I do and I think that what youth doesn't hear enough is that that's okay it's totally okay to be lost but just do something with it because uh, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard is that when you're lost you can find anything so for me what that looked like was um, I finished undergrad when I was 21 and I went uh, with my best friend at the time on a backpacking trip around Latin America. We took our hula hoops uh, because, again, we were 21 <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hula hooped from Costa Rica down to Rio de Janeiro in, in Brazil. And yeah, went down through Costa Rica, Panama. We sailed to Colombia through a captain that we met in a hostel in Panama City and then made our way through Colombia, Peru, Chile, Argentina and then, and then Brazil. Through that journey, I mean, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. I also really learned Spanish and that added in various ways to my career later on. From then, I... Or Wait, after, can I... I'm going to interrupt you because I yeah. can't let you get away with just saying you hula hooped through Latin America and next yeah. next part of my life. What the heck... <laughs> <laughs> made you think about hula hooping and what did that dynamic bring to the trip? Like what happened as a result of you and your girlfriend showing up in these different communities hula hooping? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a lot that, w that we can unpack there. It, I mean, <laughs> it was a great way to have exercise every day. I'll say that uh, while you're traveling. I think in in sort of the shortest way possible, it was a really or sort of an embodiment of youth and of being lost and of being free and literally backpacking with, you know, a sack on our back and a hula hoop that you could break down into little pieces. So it was very easy, easily transportable. <laughs> yeah, it just was a really beautiful way or beautiful addition to our journey around Latin America. I can only imagine the conversations that you had with people as a result of what you were doing. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely made a lot of friends with a bright hula hoop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll let you continue with your story. Go ahead. Excellent. Yeah. So when I came back to the States, I worked briefly in San Francisco uh, in the service industry and, and actually music industry, again, being very young and, you know, open to kind of what what life was currently throwing at me. I am a big proponent that I think everyone should spend at least a certain even if it's months of their life working in the service industry because it teaches you customer service. It teaches you how to how to serve others and of course be very respectful to people that serve our food and, and serve our drinks. After that, I worked and lived in New Zealand and Australia, also in the service industry, as well as working in agricultural communities and on farms. I lived in a van for a little bit in New Zealand with a good friend of mine, and then kind of made a very conscious decision when I was 24, 25, that I didn't want to have so many of these temporary experiences, but that I wanted to start building a really strong foundation that could propel myself forward. So I got involved with an NGO in Cambodia 
and lived um, in a village outside of Siem Reap for a short time, working with an organization that focuses on education to village children. A lot of them were, were orphans, actually. It was really inspiring. Development is a whole nother sort of bucket that we can unpack, but it was very, very inspiring and also got me a little bit disillusioned with the way that capital is allocated in traditional development. And so I wanted to stay working in the impact space, but but shift it to be looking more at, at business and for-profit enterprise. So with that, I worked briefly in management consulting in Washington, D.C. for a firm there focused on economic advisory services and uh, did my MBA in California and really just dove 100% into social enterprise and impact investing, knowing that this is, at least for the next few chapters of my life, what I want to be dedicating myself to. Thank you so much for sharing that, Christina. You know, as you were talking about the importance of being lost and how good it is to be lost, it made me think about something that I heard in another interview I did that I haven't dropped yet, but it's with a very well-known child neuropsychologist and his partner who also does a lot of prep for tests like SAT, GMAT, things like that. They wrote a very good book called The Self-Driven Child. And one of the things that they talk about is the importance of radical downtime. They mean giving your brain time to breathe and time to just be. And I will just share very quickly my own story of when I quit my job, the last job I had in June of 2017, and wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I knew I wanted to be a full-time stay-at-home mom for my now 14-year-old son that I wanted deep in my relationship with him, thought I was going to write a book, then decided the book that I was going to write wasn't in fact going to be the book that I thought it was. And I didn't want to write that book. But Christina, I didn't have anything to do beyond being a full-time stay-at-home mom. So I was laundry, cleaning the kitchen floor, cooking, all of that stuff. I had a lot of time. It can be a lot to do, right? (laughs) It is a lot to do, but it wasn't things that I really had to use my brain for. Right. And as a result, I also had a lot of free time to Mm -hmm. just let my brain breathe. And I think that's what you were doing. You were letting your brain just think expansively. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the ability to travel is, you know, if you have it, if you have access to that privilege, I, that would probably be my one or my biggest life advice to youth. It opens so many doors. You can learn languages, you meet people. Some of my best friends are scattered around the world at this point in in London, Vancouver, here in the States as well. And yeah, traveling really, really opens doors and lets your brain have that time to kind of rearrange itself or recalibrate. Yeah, absolutely. And frankly, I also have friends all around the world, which is both a blessing and it's also sad because they're not where I am, but such is life. Christina, another thing that you wanted to talk about is the reality that finding a job that fits you can really be tough. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit about how after you finished graduate school and you got your MBA at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies and you graduated in May 2017, how you sent out over a hundred applications to find a job that really fit you. Can you talk about why that was so hard? Yeah. 
So that's correct. It was over a hundred applications. I had a very colorful Excel spreadsheet that I was keeping track of everything in. I think that a lot of people either finish undergrad and gra- or and or graduate school and think that you know the perfect situation is just going to come at them. And and I don't think that that's realistic. I, I won't say that I had a hundred rejections. I had you know within those applications a number of of really attractive offers. But then when I actually you know looked myself in the mirror, I said, do I want to do this? Like, is this what I'm going to dedicate the next few years of my life to? The answer was no. So I, I rejected some of those applications that I started uh, once they became offers. I think that when you are looking for a job, a lot of times people uh, or a lot of times one would uh, get a bit discouraged, right? Because there is a lot of rejection involved. But I think that taking each of those rejections to not just be a rejection of you personally, but saying, okay, this this wasn't a mutual fit. This is also me rejecting them. Because if they didn't want me and, and my skill sets and the value that I can bring, then this is not going to be a good long-term fit. It's sort of like dating, I guess. Uh, we can keep, <laughs> keep bringing it back to the dating and marriage uh, metaphor. I definitely got or there were times when I got a bit discouraged during that time of doing so many applications. But ultimately, I I really did land a dream job for myself. During that time, I also, which I would encourage everyone to do, I looked at jobs from a number of different perspectives. So not just looking at, you know, a job of in terms of like the salary or yearly compensation, right? But also looking at, okay, like what's the percentage of travel? Because I know that's something that really motivates me. What's the innovation in my day to day? Because I know that's also something that really motivates me. What's the freedom or the the sort of company culture and freedom to be able to work remote? Because again, I know that's something that really motivates me. So I'd encourage anyone that's doing in, in a stage of doing job apps right now to really micro focus on what it is that inspires and motivates you and design your career or even just your next move around those variables instead of just looking at salary and paid time off, which is what a lot of people tend to do. That is such great advice, Christina. Thank you. I want to just let Java junkies know that you did your undergrad at USC or UC Santa Cruz. Yes, UC Santa Cruz. UC Santa Cruz. And your BA was in linguistics. I just want to ask you a quick question. Did you know what you were going to do with your linguistics degree before you graduated? I had no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. I really love language. Offline, uh, Andrea and I, for, for all the Java junkies listening, Andrea is fluent in Mandarin Chinese. I speak a bit of Mandarin as well. So no, maybe. I'm not fluent. I, I was <laughs> close when I was living in Beijing, but I moved back 20 years ago from Beijing and my Chinese has deteriorated a lot, but it was fun to get to speak a little uh, boy you with you. It was, yes. But I knew from a young age, I really loved language. So most of my undergrad was focused on really learning Spanish well. I did a number of even graduate level translation classes when I was uh, an undergrad and then also starting to learn Chinese. Now living in Mexico City, I'm expanding that even more and learning uh, Portuguese and French because I see those as uh, two really important languages to be learning working in Latin America and then, you know, hopefully in the future, a Francophone country. Good for you. So, 
Christina, do you know what extracurricular activities or do you remember what extracurricular activities you were involved in while you were at UC Santa Barbara, whether it's UC Santa Cruz, why am I saying Santa Barbara, UC (laughs) Santa Cruz, whether that's sororities or clubs or the school newspaper or internships or things like that, that looking back now, you say, oh my goodness, the skills that I was learning, that I was honing, doing those really fun after school things have actually been useful to me now as a professional. Yeah, I would say the number one thing, and and again, this is this is a privilege. So if you have it, go for it all the way. If you have the opportunity to study abroad, and and I wouldn't just say study abroad and do kind of like the summer, you know, in Italy or whatever, but move to a country that's different from where you're doing your undergrad, hopefully a country that you want to learn the language, meet local friends, go to the local university, have that like fully immersive experience. That would be the number one piece of advice that looking back had a huge effect on my life, you know, moving forward. I did a year of my undergrad at the University of Barcelona in Spain, and it it was one of my favorite years of my life so far. So I, I highly recommend that to anyone that has the opportunity to do so. Fantastic. I did my junior year abroad in Taiwan. I can't say I loved it, but it was definitely, it's something I would do all over again for sure, but it was not something I love. That's a whole nother conversation (laughs) there. So Christina, I asked two questions of all my guests or almost all my guests on Time for Coffee. And this is one of them. I recognize you have been in the professional world for a relatively short period of time, but could you share with Java Junkies a moment in which you struggled, whether it was you had challenging colleagues or, you know, a jerk for a boss or were in over your head or fill in the blank and how you persevered, maybe what lesson you learned as a result of it. Yeah, so it's a great question. I think probably one of the the hardest times in my career so far was when I was doing all these applications before I started working with Agora and you know learning how to stay positive. I think well let me back up. I think particularly as an American, so much of our value that we have within ourselves is or or sort of social worth is tied to the contribution that we bring to society, which often translates to our job, right? And when you don't have a job, (laughs) it becomes very easy to be very discouraged. And I think that for me, it was definitely a time where it was a trying time. And I there were definitely times that I got very discouraged during that period. But I think learning how to stay positive and sort of say, okay, like got rejected. Let's get up. Let's try again. They didn't like my cover letter, their thing. Okay, I'm going to learn and I'm going to keep going forward. I think that that's probably the the biggest lesson I learned there was was resilience, right? So learning how to keep putting one foot in front of the other, even when there's a lot of opportunity for being demotivated or, or discouraged. Oh, such great advice. Thank you for sharing that. Final time for coffee question, Christina. If you could go back to college, to UC Santa Cruz and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? 
Again, another great question. To be honest, there's not a lot that I would change because I I think that everything we do in our life or lives brings us to obviously where we are now. And I, I really like where I am right now. There's not really a whole lot I would change. But a piece of advice that I would give myself would honestly be to follow my heart, just trust in following my heart. And I really wanted to study languages. I had gotten, which is what I did with linguistics, I had gotten a lot of advice previously and that I should be studying, you know, something more quote unquote useful. I think that when you study something that really motivates you and inspires you, it's going to add to your career in, in some way or another. So yeah, it would be to, to keep following my heart. I love that. That is really beautiful. Christina, you are such a special woman and have had such an interesting, colorful, and wait till Java junkies see the picture that we're going to be posting (laughs) along with your episode. You are colorful in many ways, all good ways. (laughs) So thank you so much for making time for coffee with me and the Java junkie community today. I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much, Andrea. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.